But I'm going to make your day now, so there we go. Uh, this is me. Okay. And uh, why is it courtesy of adidas.com? Harmon? Pardon? Look at the feet. You cheat! You ratbag! You! Oh, I can't! Next time, I do my own slides. <laughs> ah. uh, I actually am only a few, <laughs> a few, a few months old. Uh, so this is early uh, 1957. So now you're working out. And <laughs> I'm sure that you will agree that, that I still remain cute and cuddly. Don't I, Callie? Thank you. <laughs> And actually, uh, that my mum is uh, really happy and proud. Uh, but, you know, they say a picture paints a thousand words. Uh, actually, what you don't know about that is that uh, what you can't see in this picture is that actually previously my mum had lost uh, two babies. Uh, both of them were born. They were both little girls. And the picture doesn't actually quite tell you the truth, apart from it tells you the outstanding truth of what a beautiful man that I was and am. So that's the first truth. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen now. Uh, this is the, the second slide. Uh, this is a painting of the Nativity by Philip de Champagne. I think that's the way that you say it. Uh, he was born on the 26th of May, 1602, died 12th of August, 1674. See, I know nothing about Carols, but a little bit about him. Uh, he was Flemish-born, uh, French Baroque-era painter, and this is called uh, The Adoration of the Magi. Uh, it is, uh, you'll find it in the Musée de Tess in Le Mans, it's uh, classed as, uh, as ex extraordinarily beautiful and is priceless. Uh, it doesn't have a price on it, so the only thing that you can do is nick it. We don't know how much it is, va it is valued. Probably millions and millions of pounds. But let's be honest, this is quite similar to my, my picture in the fact that this doesn't either tell you the truth. Uh, this is not what the nativity looked like. And most of us know that, don't we? We all know that you look at that and go, now this is not what the back of an inn would have looked like. We know what the back of an inn looked like. You all were there last night. You've only got to look outside the back of an inn to find out what the inn looked like. Phil Harmon, uh, you will be at the back of an inn after doing that to my picture. So I would like to suggest to you that the only true uh, picture of the nativity <laughs> can be found uh, in the Bible. And uh, what I'd like to do, though, is suggest to you that we can look at the nativity from another way. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, uh, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to suggest to you first that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Why did John in his gospel choose to call Jesus the Word? My answer to that question is this. John calls Jesus the Word because he has come to see, this is John, the words of Jesus as the truth of God and the person of Jesus as the truth of God. 
that Jesus in himself, according to John, in his coming, his working, his teaching, his dying, his rising, was the, de- was the final and de- decisive message of God. Or to put it more simply, what God had to say uh, to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what he did, what he did. So Jesus is the word. Secondly, the word that was made flesh was not just Jesus. He was Jesus Christ. He wasn't just Jesus. He was Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was the name that Joseph was told to give to the child by the angel of the Lord because it meant saviour. We read, we will read that in the Christmas readings. Uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Joseph, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word was not just Jesus, was ju- not just Jesus, but it was Jesus the Saviour. But Je- Jesus the Saviour was also the Christ. And the Christ was the word that was given to him because he was the long-awaited King of Jews. He was the one that was going to uh, give victory to the people that the government that, that Claire read about would be upon his shoulders when Andrew and Peter, and Peter, sorry, Andrew, Peter's brother, told him that he'd met Jesus, he actually said this, we have found the Messiah who is called the Christ. So the word that we read about in John chapter 1, who was introduced to us, is this person, Jesus Christ. And that's the way that he's thought of throughout the world. People know him as Jesus Christ. But actually, underneath those words, you could describe it like this. The Word is the Saviour and the King. The Word is the Saviour and the King. The Word existed as God and was with God before he was born as a man on earth. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word, that is called Jesus Christ, was there in eternity. And I want you to notice that the Word has this like pre-existence, that He is an eternal thing. He is an eternal thing. In the beginning was the Word. And those words that we read from John chapter 1 and verse 1 actually take us back right to the start of the Bible where we find Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It was read to us. In the beginning, God created the world. So here's a different beginning. But God says, in the very beginning of the beginnings. But you say, ah, that must mean there was a time when God began. No. But God doesn't know any other words to be able to use to convey this truth to us. If you like, from the very beginning of the beginnings, which never began, if you like to put it that way, Jesus was there. 
It is just complex, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning God created the world. From the very beginning of beginnings, which never existed, Jesus was there. He always was. He never came into existence. He always was. And you say, I don't understand that. And I'll say to you, neither do I. And you're not meant to. The reason that you are not meant to is that you're not meant to so that it demonstrates that he is God. And there are some things that you will never know about him. But what we're trying to do here is look at this in the context of the Christmas story. So in the cot, in the cot was Jesus Christ, Saviour, King. It's more than flesh that's sitting it's in that cot. More than flesh. This is eternity in the cot. So what happened in eternity? What did what, what, what did the Word see? What the Word saw? Well, the Word was not only there, Jesus was not only there in eternity, the Word, it says, was with God. The Greek construction here is absolutely fantastic. It gives us a window into what we are seeing before eternity, before the world, before, before we, before trees and all that sort of stuff. And the Greek word is the Greek word pros con theon. And that kind of Greek construction means this, that the word was face to face with God. But more than that, the Greek language that's used uh, in, in John chapter 1 uh, uh, John chapter 1 is more than that. It's, it's more about an intimate relationship of communication, communion, fellowship. It's more to do with, it's, it's, I don't know how best to describe it, is that they were the best ever friends of ever, ever, ever. Now, some people say that, don't they? You hear them say that on Facebook or something. This was my best friend ever, ever, ever. What John says this is this. This is eternity like that, but much more multiplied. This is an incredible reality. That there was an intimate, eternal relationship and they both loved it. They were in friendship, fellowship, it was intimate. They loved each other's company. They lived for each other's company. They spoke face to face. They did everything together. That is wonderful, isn't it? That's why Trinity is about marriage. Just, just We'll get back to that in another sermon. Because they did everything together. And Jesus latterly said, describes the relationship with his father and says, it was like glory or glorious. Because that's all that he can do to try and convey to us the experience that was there. And this is before eternity. He had unmatched, unparalleled relationship, communion with God in eternity past. And yet we know that he would give it up. He would, as the Bible says, lay it aside. He would, as we read, become flesh. 
The Bible tells us that he didn't cling on to this relationship. He didn't say, no, actually, it's my right. I, I want to stay here, you go, send somebody else. He didn't claim his right. In fact, the Bible says that he poured himself out for others. He took on the form of a body, and that body would be born at the back of an inn. He would be rejected by his own family. He would eventually be spit on by his friends. People that he knew would crucify him. People would blaspheme, and he would, be die. He would die for the very people that he came to save. Why? Why would he leave this and do this? And there is only one simple answer to this. And it is just simply this. He did this because he loved you. There is no other explanation. If you're looking for another explanation at Christmas, please don't try and find another one. There is only one. He he laid aside the relationship with his father, came and was born exactly in the place that he was because he loves you. And if you want to understand the magnitude of his love for you, look at the nativity. This is now God in a crib. What is, why is God in a crib? God is in a crib because he loves you. He loves you. Came for you. It says that the word dwelt amongst us. The word dwelt amongst us. The word dwelt uh, is sort of... It's, it's best described as, as uh, pitched up a tent. Came and pitched a tent with us. It's like he, he came and camped with us. The problem with that, those words is that, that when I looked at that, you see, I used to go on holiday and do Eurocamp holidays. They were sort of, Eurocamp holidays with the, was sort of like, you know, like the posh camping. Those that wanted an electric plug in, inside a tent, that was me. You know, you know, those that wanted to wash while they were on holiday, that was me. Wanted a cooker, that was me, that sort of stuff. And the trouble is that with camping is that you do know that you go for a while. And that's when I looked at this, was looking at it over, over preparing this, and I thought, I can't understand that, because actually what it means is that Jesus came and he camped with us for a bit. And that is the way that you think about it, don't you? Because you think, oh, well, he came and dwelt with us for 33 years. That was the th- that was the, the, uh, that's the thing. That he tented with us for a little bit. But I, I want to suggest to you that I think that I'm wrong. And I want to suggest to you that it has a different meaning. Because if you look at Revelation 21.3, where the eternal new heaven and earth are described, it says this, Behold, the dwelling place, the tent of God is with men, and he will dwell, pitch his tent, with them, and they will be his people. Now, that is, if, that, if the same word is used there, this is permanent, the other one is temporary. But actually, the pitching of his tent is permanent. Now, how do you work that out? Because I think that pitching his intent with us implies that God wants to be on familiar terms with you. He wants to be on familiar terms with us. He wants to be close to you. He wants to have an interaction with you. If you come into a community, like I would imagine, let's imagine that, that Wrexham, this is just for Mick, over the next four years, rise 
to be in the Premier League. I know that's a little bit far-fetched, but you never know. I want you to imagine that the salaries go high as they, as they sort of go out and beat Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal 6-0 each time and begin to play the likes of Barcelona and AC Milan and Real Madrid as they come to the racecourse ground and it is thundering with, with sort of uh, people that flock to see such things. Now these millionaires think, where should we live? And they think, we can live amongst our people. So they all buy a dwelling on Brintag. And what they do is that because they want to live amongst the people, now you'll notice this, what do they first do? They build a big wall. And they have security gates and cameras. They employ people to keep you out. And they say, don't they, these rich footballers, they say, we are living amongst the community. You can't get in a rich footballer. When was the last time you knocked on on a rich footballer's door for a bowl of sugar? You're never going to do that. Oh, you're going to be arrested and dead by the time you've climbed the wall with your little empty cup. So I want you to imagine this is not what, the, what living in the community is like. But if Mick happened to pitch his tent on my back lawn and sleep there with Sandy on my back lawn, I know that at some point he's going to knock my door. Why is that? Because we have a loo. <laughs> We have facilities in our house. We have, that, we have the bathroom. And because Wrexham are in the Premier League, he might want to watch my telly. So it might be like that. You see, this is why God became human. He came to pitch his tent in your backyard so that he could come into your house and dwell with you. That's the point. He came into your yard, lived so that you, so that he can dwell with you. That's the whole point of it. He brought his tent to you. That's the wonderful thing. So I want to ask a question. I want to ask, why is John's nativity missing? Why is it that when we go back to it, that John's nativity goes something like this? And the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us and we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son, our father, full of grace and truth. Why is there no nativity? Why is there no story? I've got a a theory on this and this is the theory that that I want you to, to, to think about seriously. That what happened is that John went out for coffee with with Matthew and Luke. And they went out for coffee and they said, who is going to provide the script for for school nativity plays in the future? This is what happened. And uh, they said, and John said, I've got no time for that whatsoever. I'm fed up of looking at children with tea towels on their heads. And if you're like me, dressing up in sheets to become an angel, that was me, and that sort of stuff, he wouldn't do it. So Matthew and Luke went away from the meeting feeling rather downtrodden, and uh, they went away to write the nativity plays so that you could take part in it. John is grumpy. You see, what John says is, I do not want cute costumes 
in my story. I don't want a manger. I don't want Joseph, Mary, shepherds, angels, wise men, lowing cattle, stars. None of all that. You can have that and you can be famous for all the nativity plays. Why is that? Because actually there's a serious side to this. That John wants, you to re- John wants you to understand the nativity without the clutter. John wants you to see Jesus without the clutter. And what he wants you to see is this. That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven and earth and became a man. And that's all that he wants you to know. And that is what I would like you to consider More than that, I'd like you to consider the reason that Jesus came and the purpose that Jesus came. That John just wants you to know one thing. God became flesh. And he says this, it's more important than a tea towel. And it's true, true, isn't it? He just does it. He just says, no, I I want you to know this. And at the end of John's book, He explains this in John chapter 20, verse 31. He said, And these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing him, you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote it. That's why John wrote as he did. That's why John explained that the word has become flesh and dwelt amongst us. Why did John write this stuff? Why did he put all this stuff down? Why did he miss a lot out? Why did he dwell on the life and the death of the resurrection? It is simply this, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the challenge. What is all this about? It is about this, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in believing that you may have life in his name. Now there are several ways to do this. And I'm going to try and give you uh, some options. Option one. Do not go today without believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that affects you personally. Because he came to dwell in your tent. Don't, don't leave. Please don't. This is far too important for you. This is eternity coming to be with you so that you would know eternity. That's the first. Don't go. Ah, speak to me, please, about it. Love to talk to you about it. Speak to Steve, who led us. Love to speak to you about it. Second thing is this. John said this. But these things are written that you may believe. So I thought, okay, if these things are written, there's something that you can read that will help you to believe. So I have a Christmas gift for you. If you don't want to believe this morning in the context of this meeting and talk to me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these outside on a table uh, by where we serve the, the mulled wine and that sort of stuff. These are ESV New Testaments. Please, why don't you take one, take it home and read it so that you might believe. 
That's what the purpose actually of the Bible is. Often Christian things, the Bible is there to prop you up to live. No, the Bible is to help you to believe. So I want to give you that. That's free from us with love. The second, the, the last thing is that if you, if you think, well, I need to take time to think about that, we'd like to introduce you to a way to be able to do that. And that is that on the 13th of January, we are uh, doing a course in Costa Coffee in Wrexham, starting at 7 o'clock, where you can have a look at how you believe. It actually looks at who Jesus is, why he came, what does he mean to follow you. You've got some of these things that are around there. If you would like to do that, that's six weeks. You just come along You can watch a DVD, you can ask questions. This will help you to believe. So I've given you three options. You can believe now, you can believe by reading, you can believe by this. So I want to give you those sort of three options. But I want to just give you a little bit of a flavour of what Christianity explores like. Okay, so there we go. The nativity. What is this all all about? And the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We're going to sing our final carol. Uh, It is joy to the world.